0: Good to have you at Seneca Community Church Online. We're glad you're tuning in for the first installment of our new series, Joseph, Living the Dream. We do have some exciting news. Friday night, the leadership team met, and after much prayer and discussion, we decided that next Sunday, the 14th, will be our first in-person Sunday service. It has been almost 12 weeks since we last met. It won't be church as usual, but it will be a start. A mailing will go out on Tuesday with specifics, also be watching The Pulse. We are also asking you to be patient with us as we outline what our first Sunday together will look like and how social distancing will impact it. We want to thank you in advance for working with us on this. If you don't feel comfortable attending in person, we understand and ask you to continue to join us online. If you have a health concern that makes you vulnerable, we would ask as a precaution for you to stay home. Of course, if you are a family member is not feeling well, we would ask you to wait until you and your family member are well. Please continue to be praying as we move towards reopening June 14th. We are asking the Lord to use all of this to touch lives and to use us to make a lasting difference. With all that is going on in our nation, Uh, Be in prayer that we use wisdom in how to respond compassionately, understandably, and yes with outrage at the injustice that black Americans continue to experience. The events of the past few weeks have left us all reeling. We're mourning, angry, hurt, confused, sad, and everything in between. We condemn racism and systemic racism that is so deeply rooted in society. Everyone is heartbroken over the death of George Floyd and what it represents. As Christ followers, we need to be committed to look at ourselves and ask hard questions. Pray for healing across our land and the ability to listen well to the voices, lives, and experiences of our black and brown brothers and sisters who have shared what they've experienced even though we've not experienced it. We are also saddened that legitimate protests have become opportunities for a few to act out in ways that hurt our communities. We pray for law enforcement who go into these situations to protect and serve. Thank you to those who have been able to participate in the re-engagement survey. Your perspective was very helpful in determining how the church is feeling. Don't forget to take the opportunity to listen and maybe sing along to the three songs that Mariah has chosen for today. You can access them by clicking that little white circle uh, with the eye in it on the upper right hand side. Before we get started with our new series, please pray with me. Grace Heavenly Father, we just uh, thank you that we can gather online together. And we also look forward with anticipation to uh, gathering in person, being available to do that. We ask that you'd help us to sort through personally uh, whether that's the right next step for us as individuals. Lord, we also uh, continue to bring our nation before you and our leaders. Uh, we think of all that's gone on over the last week and a half. Uh, we pray for uh, those that uh, are put in harm's way. Uh, Lord, we also ask that uh, we as a nation would uh, make a clear statement that uh, we, are not, we are against racism in any form. Uh, we just uh, look forward to a day where things start to get better and we just place this all in your hands. Uh, We thank you that uh, we can gather today, in Jesus' name, amen. Living the dream is often a sarcastic expression that means the complete opposite of living the type of life you want with no regrets. When things aren't falling in place, when there's one mishap after another, you often will hear someone say, just living the dream. And then if they really want to emphasize it, they'll add a baby to it. And they'll say, just living the dream, baby. No one communicates living the dream better than Owen Wilson. You may think uh, we're here like the rest of you, just running down a dream. Just living the dream, baby. Ah, Just doing a little sailing and living the dream. Because I don't know what happens to a dream deferred. Does it dry up like a raisin in the sun? First I wasn't sure, but now I want the dream. Yeah, I don't even know what the dream is anymore, to be honest with you. And he made this old son of a gun remember. There's still some dreams floating around out there. It's not too late. You just got to reach out and grab. Nick, I reach- living the dream, baby, is an appropriate expression for most of us as we're experiencing hurts, frustration, uh, just difficulties, things that we could never have imagined four months ago. You and I would say, yeah, we're just living the dream. From COVID-19 and all the things that means and doesn't mean, uh, to the recent uh, unjust death of an African American and the legitimate protests that have turned into rioting, all of those things just seem to be crazy to us. And we would say just living the dream. And then there are the personal things that have affected us all as we've tried to navigate these waters ourselves as individuals and then navigate them together uh, in our families. I never thought I would uh, hear from my daughters as they're working at a hospital uh, say nervously that they weren't sure about this thing, this pandemic that was coming our way. And they weren't sure that they would have all the Um, equipment and things they would need, and they said that with really a a nervousness in their voice. And then just even recently, uh, last uh, Saturday, to hear them call from their uh, home in Rochester as they were out uh, doing errands and things like that and said that they could actually see smoke. We never thought we would experience those things, and in a sense we would say, wow, this is crazy, just living the dream baby." But as you and I think more and more about it, uh, we think of what Owen Wilson actually says, and again, he can express it uh, no better than anybody else. And no matter where we find ourselves, an all-in Christ follower, or someone that uh, is very skeptical of everything, or somewhere in between, we find ourselves asking these kinds of questions in a time like this. We're asking ourselves Is it still possible to run down a dream, like Owen says? Uh, Does a dream deferred just dry up? Some of us are wondering that. What is the dream? Some of us were building our lives on things that we thought were the dream, and then when the bottom fell out, we're not really sure what the dream looks like any longer. Now, some of us, uh, when we think about living the dream and what our dream is, at, see these little uh, social media questions like the one you see on your screen, the one that says, where would you rather live? And you see these four different places, and all of us have a place that we would favor, and we would say, if I could live in that place, then I would be living the dream. And then there's one graphic that really uh, disturbs my heart, and it's this one. It's not the fact that it's a cabin way off in nowhere land. It's the fact that the question is, no internet, would you live here? Absolutely not. I could not ever live there. So as we continue to think about dreams, we ask ourselves, are there still some dreams floating around there? Some dreams that I could actually grab a hold of? She had a boat. Me too, but you know God's spiritual gifts are greater. Thank you, Jesus. At least that young guy knows where his dream comes from. Wouldn't we like if that's all it took? A little thought, a little dream, and all of a sudden, poof, it was appearing before our eyes. Now, Joseph, the Joseph with the multicolored fame, robe fame, not to be confused with Mary and Joseph, uh, shows us a lot about living the dream. Yet Joseph's living the dream contained moments where that dream turned into a nightmare. He had to live with a number of uh, things that were nightmarishness. He had to live with adversity, which we're going to talk about today. He had to live with temptation. He had to live with discouragement, materialism, and a lot of pressure on acting or not acting on revenge. So here we have Joseph, Old Testament Joseph, Joseph with the multicolored robe. We have Joseph living a dream literally, because we're going to see that God actually had a dream for him that he was aware of as a, as a teenager. We see him living out that dream, but we also see that that dream contained moments, times, seasons where it was a nightmare. And we're going to learn ourselves that as we think about Joseph living the dream and we look at this five-part series, we're going to see that there there are moments where we're living in the dream, but there are also a lot of moments and seasons where that dream includes nightmares. Now, Joseph was the 11th son of Jacob, and often you'll hear Jacob referred to as Israel. His name was Jacob, and then when he made his move, direction to really follow God, God renamed him Israel. And so Joseph is number 11 of 13 kids. Only one full brother, Benjamin, he was the oldest, his mom was Rachel, and his mom passed away during childbearing, during bearing uh, Benjamin. So this is Joseph, and he has also has a sister, Dinah. And what's really amazing is this was a home where, in a sense, Joseph had four mothers because there were these other women that had bared Jacob uh, children, Israel children, and one was uh, Leah, his wife, and the other one were maidservants. It gets very complicated. But we see Joseph growing up in a house that is just... Uh, just has all kinds of awkwardness and dysfunction, yet he's going to be able to figure out or God's going to touch his life in such a way that he is able to live the dream even though it contains a number of uh, nightmares in it. Verse 3 of chapter 37. Now Israel loved Joseph more than any of his other sons because he had been born to him in his old age, probably around 90. And he made an ornate robe for him. When his brothers saw that their father loved him more than any of them, they hated him and could not speak a kind word to him. Goes on. Joseph had a dream, and when he told it to his brothers, they hated him all the more. For those of us who are familiar with the story of Joseph, Joseph had two dreams, and both dreams depict him as, in a sense, the leader, the ruler, with everyone around him bowing down. And the brothers got that message very clearly that Joseph was saying, even though I'm number 11, eventually I'll be number one, and you will all take a knee in my presence. And because of that, they hated him all the more. And he also might remember the fact that, again, that robe that he made, that Jacob, Israel made for uh, Joseph, just again really symbolized his love for Joseph more than the other boys, the other men. And even if you go back and see the story, the courtship, of Jacob and Rachel and Leah, you'll discover that Rachel was the object of Jacob's eye. So, of course, Joseph and then eventually Benjamin were his pride and part of his heart where the other uh, boys, the other sons, really weren't. We read on. Now, his brothers had gone to graze their father's flock near Shechem. And Israel, Jacob, said to Joseph, As you know, your brothers are grazing the flocks near Shechem. Come, and I'm going to send you to them. Very well, he replied. So he said to him, Go and see if all is well with your brothers and with the flocks, and bring word back to me. Then he sent him off from the valley of Hebron. Now, it's interesting, again, we see this. Now, Joseph is younger, but he's in that age group where he could have been out with the flocks tending them, but he's home with dad, just showing again his favoritism. The sons are off working hard, and Joseph is home with dear old dad, which just cranked up the brothers. When Joseph arrived at Shechem... A man found wandering around in the fields asked him, what are you looking for? He replied, I'm looking for my brothers. Can you tell me where they are grazing their flocks? They have moved on from here, the man answered. I heard them say, let's go to Dothan. So Joseph went after his brothers and found them near Dothan. But, They saw him in the distance, I'm sure they recognized that robe, and before he reached them, they plotted to kill him. Here comes the dreamer, they said to each other. Come now, let's kill him and throw him into one of these cisterns and say that a ferocious animal devoured him, then we'll see what comes of his dreams." And I'd imagine then they gave a little evil (laughs) laugh at the end of that. His brothers just despised Joseph. Joseph knew that. And it was because of his dream. Sometimes you and I, not to that extent, I hope, can feel the same kind of a thing. When we know someone that has a dream and they seem to be pursuing it and they seem to be making progress, progress towards it, it might cause us a little bit of jealousy. And that's what's going on with his brothers. They could see that what Joseph said most likely would happen, that Jacob would give Joseph the status of being the number one son, even though he was the number 11 son. And they, they just could not handle that. And they had heard about that over and over and over again. But When Reuben heard this, he tried to rescue him from their hands. Let's not take his life, he said. Don't shed any blood. Throw him into the cistern, that's a well, here in the wilderness, but don't lay a hand on him. Reuben said this to rescue him from them and take him back to his father. It's interesting that Reuben did have some kind of heart connection with Joseph or at least his father and wanted his father to be spared the loss of Joseph and also not to have his half-brother be killed. So when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him of his robe, the ornate robe he was wearing, and they took him and threw him into the cistern. The cistern was empty. There was no water in it. This is really great. What happens next? As they sat down to eat their meal, can you imagine that? Joseph is probably in that well. In other passages, we're told he's he's begging for his life, and, and those brothers are just sitting down eating their lunch with total disregard to Joseph's plea. So they're eating the lunch, and they look up, and they see a caravan of Ishmaelites coming from Gilad. The camels were loaded with spice, balm, and myrrh, And they were on their way to take them down to Egypt. Judah said to his brothers, what a kind brother Judah is. What will we gain if we kill our brother and cover up his blood? Come, let's sell him to the Ishmaelites and not lay our hand on him. After all, he is our brother, our own flesh and blood. His brothers agreed. What nice brothers. So when the Midianite merchants came by, his brother pulled Joseph up out of the cistern and sold him for 20 shekels of silver to the Ishmaelites, who took him to Egypt. Then they got Joseph's robe, they were very smart about this, slaughtered a goat, and dipped the robe in the blood. They took the ornate robe back to their father and said, We found this. Examine it to see whether it's your son's robe. He recognized it and said, It is my son's robe. Some ferocious animal has devoured him. Joseph has surely been torn to pieces. It's interesting that the brothers never really lied. They just said, is this his robe? Yes, this is his robe. And so in a sense, they were really walking a fine line. And all of a sudden, Jacob recognizes, of course he recognizes it. And uh, Jacob comes to the conclusion that Joseph has been killed by ferocious wild animals. Then Jacob, which was a custom when you were mourning, tore his clothes, put on sackcloth, and mourned his son many days. All his sons and daughters came to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted. It's interesting that as the time went on, none of the brothers kind of confessed. None of the brothers said, well, 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 wait a minute, I think we'll we'll go find Joseph. They They just let it rest. They didn't do anything about it. Jacob says, no, he said, I will continue to mourn until I join my son in the grave. So his father wept for him. Meanwhile, the Midianites sold Joseph to Egypt to Potiphar, one of Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard. So Joseph, the dreamer, finds himself in a nightmare. Up until this time, he was favorite son and got to live in that dream. He got to have the robe. He got to be the focal point of his family, in a sense, beyond his father. Yet all of a sudden, things change and go upside down. The same happens to us. We think we're living the dream, or we are living the dream, and then we discover things change very quickly, and we discover that we are actually in a nightmare. Now, when Paul writes about this kind of thing happening to all of us, because it's going to happen to all of us. This is what he writes to the Corinthians. We all experience times of testing, which is normal for every human being, but God will be faithful to you. He will screen and filter the severity, the nature, and the timing of every test or trial you face so that you can bear it. What Paul is explaining to us is that These trials, these things that come into our lives are designed to um, grow us, but also that God will not give us something that we cannot walk through with his strength. It doesn't mean we stand up on it alone. Sometimes you and I find ourselves in just a heartache moment, and and we're having trouble taking another step, and that's natural and we wonder why God allows it to happen in our life, or why God brought it into our life, and we're having trouble bearing it, but we're bearing it alone. Paul says, you don't walk through these things alone. You walk arm in arm with God through them. He goes on to say, and each test is an opportunity to trust him more. For along with every trial, God has provided for you a way of escape, that will bring you out of it victoriously. So as we get into starting to look at Joseph, and we see this first big experience unfold before our eyes, the question is, is how do you and I navigate, walk through, walk in adverse times? I think we can look and discover that there's at least four keys To overcoming adversity. And the first one is this, prosperity is temporary. Be grateful. In other words, when you and I find ourselves in those good days, when you and I find ourselves wearing the robes of many colors, when life is good, we should take stock of that. We should notice that and have a spirit of gratefulness rather than just not be conscious of it. I know in my own personal life, the month of January and even into February were, were, in a sense, carefree months. And then all of a sudden we got into this shelter into place. And things that I had enjoyed, even just uh, seeing our kids, uh, seeing all of you on a Sunday morning, just being out and about, grabbing a coffee with somebody, I, I wasn't thinking gratefulness for those things. In those times of prosperity, we need to hold on to those things and think gratitude. Even in some of our worst days over the last few months, there are still pockets and moments where you and I can have gratitude. John writes this, From his abundance, referring to God, from his abundance we have all received one gracious blessing after another. So when you and I think of the blessings in our life, the good stuff in our life, we need to not just kind of take them for granted, not see them. We need to realize that they come from the hand of God, and we ought to be grateful. And when I'm in those kinds of places of adversity, and I can still pick out things that I can be grateful for, wow, does it make it possible to walk in or walk through those times. There's always something that I can find that I am grateful for. Read in Philippians. I know how to live when I'm poor, this is Paul writing, and when I have plenty. You have to remember that Paul was a tent maker, which means he did ministry, church kind of work, but he also had the part-time made tents, worked with canvas and those kinds of things. And so he, he did both. But there were times where he was, was doing well and finances were not an issue. He was spending time with people where it wasn't a situation. And then there were other moments where it was really uh, you know, uh, just, 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 just barely holding on. And Paul gives us this uh, secret, if you will. I have learned the secret of how to live through any kind of situation. When I have enough to eat or when I'm hungry when I have everything I need or when I have nothing, Christ is the one who gives me the strength I need to do whatever I must do. I I like that phrase almost better than the phrase we're more familiar with when it comes to this verse. I can do all things through Christ. Yes, I, I totally buy into that. We can do the things that we've called, been called to do through Christ. But I like how this just reminds us that God will give us the strength to do whatever must be done. I like that emphasis. I, whatever I need to do when I must do it. Not a day before, not a moment before, but in that moment, he's there for us. Another key to remembering to function through adversity is this. Hardship is inevitable, be equipped. Really, as we wrapped up last week, uh, the Jesus on, and we talked about uh, the Sermon on the Mount. We really saw this idea of storms. We need to remember that hardships are inevitable, and we need to be ready for them. We need to be prepared for them. When there's time of calm, we need to be just building into our lives, letting God build into our lives, letting others interact with our lives, so that we are equipped and ready. In 2 Timothy, Paul writes to his son in the faith, Timothy writes this, everyone who wants to live showing true devotion to God and Christ, Jesus, will be persecuted. Now that is not to make everyone feel nervous, make everyone feel uncomfortable, uh, to be a prophet of gloom and doom, but we do really need to understand, if you walk under the banner of, I follow Christ, He's my Savior and He's my Lord, you're going to come up against things. People aren't going to like that. You will, I will experience some kind of form of pushback, hard time, and all the way to the other spectrum, persecution. If you and I were to talk to some of our brothers and sisters in Christ around the world and other places, I've mentioned this a number of times. It's not the only place, but I'm very mindful of what's going on in China and what's going on in Hong Kong. If you were a believer there, you would be facing persecution because you are following Christ. And even as we look in our own country, it is not out of the realm of possibility that someday you and I could face as Christians the same kind of intensity of persecution. Right now, it might be a little bit of comment, it might be a little bit of a pushback, it might be a little bit of uh, some snide remarks, but someday it is possible. That doesn't mean you should lose sleep at night, because again, the one that makes us able to handle what is in front of us is still with us, but we, we need to be aware of that. We need to understand that we need to be equipped for the day that we will have pushback all the way from the little things to the major things. We read in the book of John, I've told you these things, and we've mentioned this verse recently, so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I've overcome the world. The one that we follow, the one that we lean on, the one that has saved us, the one that is our good shepherd, has overcome the world. He didn't get all tangled up into it. He didn't stumble and get trapped by it. He got through it and beyond it. And he's overcome the world. And if you and I have said yes to Christ, if we've placed our trust in him, believed that he died and rose again, you and I have him a part of our lives through his spirit, through the spirit, And just like he has overcome the world, we also will overcome. So rather than being surprised by difficulties, by pushback, by persecution, rather than being overwhelmed by it, we know that we have a Savior that's victorious. And he lives within us and will carry us to the day of completion. We also need to be aware that there needs to be some effort. Effort is indispensable, so don't give up. It's not that we're saving ourselves, it's not that we're earning our way, but it's this idea that we need to be engaged, we need to be growing, we need to be moving in that direction, and it takes effort. For those of us who are understanding that we need to spend God on, with God, spend time with God on a regular basis, that takes effort. For some of us, that means getting up early before we go off to work. For some of us, this means turning off the TV in the evening so that we give our last half an hour to spending time with God. For some of us, it means pulling aside at lunchtime, grabbing our Bible, spending some time in prayer. Wherever we are, it takes effort. It takes energy. And when it gets hard, we shouldn't give up. Probably most of us have seen this uh, little graphic here. Never give up. And we see that frog trying to be eaten by, I would say that's probably some variation of a pink flamingo, but trying to be eaten by that frog, by that. Pink flamingo trying to eat that frog, and and he's not going down. He is exercising some effort up until the last moment, and you can see the pink flamingo is very surprised by that. In Galatians, or excuse me, yeah, in Galatians we read, "May we never tire of doing what is good and right before our Lord, because in His season we shall bring in a great harvest if we can just." persist. The idea is this, is that when you and I are in the battle of doing what's right, doing what's good, and we're giving it that effort, sometimes you and I can tire out. But we should we should we should keep on it. We should realize that what we're doing does make a difference. We might say that differently instead of bringing a great harvest, that we might make a lasting difference in another person's life by the way we live around them, by the way we care for them, the way we go the extra mile for them, the way we do what's good and right. And there are moments in all of our lives where we're just exhausted, whether it's physically, emotionally, maybe even spiritually, and we're tired and we're ready to almost give up. But if we don't give up, there will be a harvest. There will be this impact of our life to make a difference. So wherever you're at, wherever you're looking at life and you're feeling, I just can't take another step. I'm I'm ready to give up just because I just don't think it it matters. Don't, Don't succumb to that. Don't fall to that. Don't give up. In Hebrews, we read this. You must be patient. After you have done what God wants, you will get what he promised you. The idea is that each one of us has a purpose, a calling in life. And as you and I engage in that, we put effort to that, we put um, energy towards that, we will find that we are able to live out God's intended purpose for our lives. And when we do that, when we finally meet him face-to-face, that will be celebrated, and we'll be so thankful that we lived the dream and lived it even in the midst of nightmares and followed through and gave it the effort. We'll be delighted that we can, in a sense, offer that life and say, God, I lived this way. I wasn't perfect. Yeah, I messed up here and there, but overall, I was living in this direction for you because of the love you showed to me. I lived a life of love back to you, which includes uh, loving other people. We were in Revelation, when finally everything is set right, when Christ returns, when there's a new heavens and a new earth, we read this, he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death, sadness, crying, or pain. All the old ways are gone. Sometimes I just have to hold on to a concept like that in that verse. I have to realize that the things that that hurt my heart, the things I see on the news that uh, just just show the brokenness, and then to wonder what, what my part may have been in some of this kind of stuff by maybe being too silent, whatever that is, all of that stuff, I look at it, And I say, someday it's going to be all wiped away. There won't be any tears. There won't be any pain. There won't be any crying. All the old ways are gone. As we're walking through our adversity, as we're trying to live God's dream, as we're trying to reach out and grab it, trying to figure out what that really is, and sometimes it seems like it's a moving target. We also can can rest on the fact that God is faithful, and because God is faithful, you and I ought to be faithful. Not again to earn his love, we already have his love, but in response, God is faithful, Christ has shown us the way, others have shown us the way, so therefore you and I, can stick with it and be faithful also. Isaiah, one of my favorite verses in Isaiah reads this. When you are in over your head, ever felt that way? (laughs) I feel that way quite often. When you are in over your head, I will be there with you. When you're in the rough waters, you will not go down. When you're between a rock and a hard place, it won't be a dead end. Because I am God, your personal God, the Holy of Israel, your Savior. I paid a huge price for you. Peter, reflecting on this idea that God is faithful, we should be faithful, why we should be faithful, writes these words. After your brief suffering, The God of all loving grace who has called you to share in His eternal glory in Christ. Your suffering may not feel brief because we're locked in by this thing called time. But someday when we reflect back to this chapter of life, comparing it to eternity, it will seem brief. He's called us to this eternal glory in Christ. This idea of what Christ has done, he, He just... Beams with what he's done for us. And we get a share in that. Will personally and powerfully restore you and make you stronger than ever. Yes, he will set you firmly in place and build you up. Joseph, living the dream, knowing there was a dream, believing in that dream finds himself in the nightmare of adversity. Probably a little bit more intense than what you and I are going through. But in a sense, we feel the weight of that adversity. When you and I think of Joseph, and as we continue on with this story over the next four weeks, I'm gonna give you the, the, the like end of the story now. If you look at Genesis 50, verse 20, we read, this is Joseph, after a number of events have happened to him, including him being sold into slavery, into Egypt, says this, to his brothers. It is true that you planned to do something bad to me, but really God was planning good things. God's plan was to use me to save the lives of many, and that's is what happened. when You and I look at the adversity that we're going through, the most wonderful, I guess, the silver lining of that is God can take that adversity and use it to make a difference in another person's life. And there are moments for me, and I'm sure there's moments of you, where I feel the weight of that adversity. But then I remember that I remember if I stick with it, if I don't give up, I'll find him using those kinds of things in my life to touch someone else's life. Our bottom line is this. Sometimes life has to go wrong in order for us to go right. And that really is the story of Joseph. There will be a number of more instances where life goes wrong for him. But as life goes wrong for him... Eventually, it flips over in order for his life to go right. Not just right for himself, but actually right for the family, for the brothers that sold him into slavery. You see, you and I, when we come into relationship with God, he can take our lives and use every part of it, including our adversity, to make a difference and to make a difference in someone else's life. And so we can hold on to that no matter what our adversity is. Would you please pray with me? Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for the story of Joseph. We thank you that you don't spare the difficult parts of his life. That literally he was living a dream. But his dream included moments and seasons and really long periods of times of nightmarish situations. Father, his life gives us hope. And we ask that no matter what we find ourselves up under, even right now, that we would find that you are faithful and that would produce an inner strength that comes from you that makes it possible for us to be faithful. Not only so we can enjoy uh, connecting with you, having a peace that's on the inside, but also, even maybe more importantly, so that you can use our life to make a difference in other lives. We thank you for all of this. In Jesus' wonderful name, amen. Well, we thank you for joining us online at Seneca Community Church. As you heard earlier, uh, next week, uh, some of us are going to be meeting in person here. Please be uh, watching your mail. We'll be sending some information out on how that's all gonna unfold. We ask that you would really be, continue to be gracious and patient with us as we try to figure out the ebbs and flows of what that looks like. We may ask you to do some things or not do some things that maybe is a little bit outside of your comfort zone. And if that is the case, we, you know, just kinda, kinda roll with it. Also again, if you um, have any concerns about attending an in-person service, Don't by any means feel any pressure to be here, especially if you have some health things going on. There's always going to be a couple future weeks uh, as we continue to see how this all unfolds. I hope you uh, join us at uh, 11.15 for our virtual Zoom coffee time. Uh, That's been a really great time. Last time it was a great uh, opportunity just to pray together for the things going on in our country. So I'd welcome you to join us with that. Again, uh, we just uh, continue to thank you for your generosity, for your sacrificial giving. It again, helps us to make a difference locally and literally around the world. So we appreciate that so much. Uh, I hope again to see you, some of you, in person next week. So continue to be safe, be well, and God bless.